So I didn't tell last service, service this, but I'm going to share with you. I also have a uh, food freezer experience where my late grandmother was a child of the Depression. Uh, she would take two, tw- two ply toilet paper and put it apart and make two one ply pieces of toilet paper. Um, and she also would buy things in bulk and freeze them. And I would stay with her on my ways out to Wyoming every summer from college in North Carolina. And on one such trip, she pulled out some luncheon meat from the freezer and dethawed it and proceeded to make us sandwiches, which I ate. Um, And then I looked at the package and it said from 2001, and it was 2006. And, and, I mean, ironically, it's true. I actually became a vegetarian right after that experience. (laughs) But I think these women of our lives hold such important places, Um, and our children are really the reflection of that. Next week, we're going to confirm an incredible group of eighth graders into the life and ministry of our church, with all of their questions and their doubts, with all of their wonderings and and questionings and insecurities about what does it truly mean to be a follower, but also with all of their passions, all of the ways that they become alive in the world and are excited to figure out how to make their light shine brighter to reflect God's love. And I think when I was thinking about next week and all that it would hold, I couldn't help but think of this room and of this banner that is above us and all of the names that are on it, and all of the ways that young people from 1936 to 2016 have had those questions. They've had those doubts and those wonderings. They've had their passion and excitement. And we're part of that. We're all part of that. As we recognize these young people as full members in the body of faith next week, we will read the UCC Statement of Faith as our call to worship. And I know that many of you are Catholic expats, so joining together and saying something that we believe can be really anxiety-producing, like, I definitely don't agree with that statement. But there's something really beautiful in recognizing that our individual belief joins together to make communal belief. That when we say what we believe, there are parts that might be true for us, And there are parts that might be true for someone else. And that that beautiful diversity is reflective of the beautiful diversity of our God. When I was in divinity school writing my paper for ordination, I actually had to write a substantial amount about the UCC statement of faith. And I had to break it apart and and reflect uh, how it spoke to my theology. Um, But there was one passage in particular that really spoke to me. And it's this phrase on the cost and joy of discipleship. See, ours is not a faith of all joy, but it's also a faith of great cost. It's a faith that demands, and it's a faith that sometimes disappoints. It's a faith that transforms who we are in a radical way, not in a cosmic, superhero-esque kind of way that means our closets are riddled with capes and spandex much to Pastor Seth's chagrin and much to my great relief. (laughs) But it's a messy faith. And sometimes it's painful, and it's heartbreaking, and it's also beautiful. 
but it's not shallow or superficial. It's not to be engaged in lightly or casually, but it's one that commands and orders our entire lives. There's great cost involved with living a life transformed. But with that cost is the great joy, for these are lives that are truly worth living, ones that live in relationship with our divine creator. And ours is a faith, as normal read in a second, ours is a faith like God and Isaiah's. It's one that demands that we breathe and we push, that, and that sometimes our faith is sweaty and uncomfortable. It's a faith where sometimes we feel really vulnerable and exposed, and we feel like we aren't up to the task. It takes a lot of hard work, and it's exhausting. But when it is done, we give birth to something even more beautiful and incredible than we could have ever imagined. And so let us listen to these words from Isaiah. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. Eternal one, as a woman fiercely strains to give birth, I will gasp, pant, and cry out. I have been quiet for a long time. I have held back in the face of it all. Well, no more. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Holy God, creator of this beautiful world, we thank you that we are part of this creation, that we have breath and life, that we have creativity and imagination, that we have mind and heart and soul. Help us to bring our whole selves to you in worship this day, celebrating the beauty of this life and together hoping and dreaming and listening and yearning for the life that you are calling us to. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This year, I will be participating with Americans everywhere on the day that most phone calls are made, Mother's Day. On Mother's Day, phone call rates spike 37% as guilt-ridden children who do not live close to their families pick up the phone and dial those all-too-familiar numbers. Now, as the pastor, only pastor of this church who does not have children, I feel a little underqualified to give you all wisdom and insight on this Mother's Day. I have no adorable stories of being woken up by little ones or the selflessness of parenthood. Though, if I may confess, hearing Seth's stories about his little ones has been the best birth control I could have ever imagined. <laughs> but I do have memories of being a daughter myself, of waking up early on Mother's Day Sundays with my dad and going to the grocery store and picking out the perfect chocolate eclair for my mom, of putting it on a tray with a dandelion flower and a cup of orange juice and carrying it up to her in bed, of snuggling next to her and then proceeding to eat half of her chocolate eclair for her. <laughs> I don't know a lot about motherhood, but I do know that mothering is messy. I know that it's complicated and complex. I know that parents do the best that they can, sometimes broken themselves, 
and that Mother's Day contains multitudes. Amy Young, a minister herself, wrote this litany for women on Mother's Day that speaks to me, and maybe it will speak to you too. She writes, to those who gave birth this year, we celebrate you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those of you who are in the trenches every day with little ones and wear the badges of food stains, we appreciate and salute you. To those who experienced loss this year through miscarriage or failed adoption or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility fraught with pokes and prods and disappointments, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things, for we do not mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms and mentor moms and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate you. And to those who have disappointment and heartache and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we mourn with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mothers, we acknowledge your experience and we lament it. To those who lived through driving tests and medical tests and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who mother and give in many ways through their work or their passion or their relationships, children are not the only way to bring life into this world. To those who will have empty nests this coming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. For mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst, and we remember you. I reached out to a bunch of friends who are clergy this year, asking them what they preach about when they preach on Mother's Day. And all of them replied with the same response. They said, we, we don't. <laughs> because Mother's Day is fraught. It is fraught with so many landmines of our own experiences. It is, for some, a candy-coated day with its saccharine sweetness. For some, it is filled with that in a way that is true and beautiful and good and holy. But for the most part, our lives are complex. And with the joy, there can also be pain that lies beneath some of our hallmark platitudes. Times where we have failed our mothers, or maybe we have failed to be the mother that we hoped to be, are those times even when our mothers failed us. Times where brokenness has begot brokenness. So why talk about Mother's Day at all? Because bringing life into this world is miraculous. 
It is the one thing that we share with all other beings in creation, that life creates life, that out of tiny, infinitesimally small things, something intricate and large and beautiful can grow. But if we look at this day only in its literal sense, we are limiting the power of this day. See, we all give birth in this life. We are co-creators with the divine, giving life to music and ideas and relationships, giving life to peace and justice in this world, giving life to love that reflects the holy in the world around us. But as God in Isaiah writes, as Norm just read for us, Sometimes we're silent. Sometimes we're silent for too long, and we tell ourselves that we can't do it, that we don't have time for that. We limit our power and our strength. We limit our potential and possibility. We limit our authority and obligation to do that which is good and true and right in the world. As mothers have historically been seen as passive nurturing figures, I think there's great importance in reclaiming the strength and grit and ferocity of motherhood. That being a mother takes many forms in this world. When we lived in Wyoming, my older brother Kyle took a class on Native American art. And once a week, the class would load into these uh, like Safari Joe-esque vehicles, and they would drive out to the desert and hike to cliffs and caves where native peoples put art on walls that reflected life. And one cave wall was covered with red and brown handprints, and it was called the birthing wall. Women would stand there with members of their community, with members of their tribe, with their hands pressed against the cool rock as they cried out in pain and as new life entered into the world. And then they too would dip their hands in the blood and mark another new life, surrounded in body and spirit by the hands of their ancestors and all of those who came before them. We too are surrounded by our ancestors, by those who knew the pain and the power of bringing new life into this world. And we are surrounded by a God who is there to give us the strength and the courage to push ahead. For bringing life into this world is a radical act of hope. It is inherently forward-thinking that things can be made better, that this world that we live in, broken and battered as it is, can also be made better. It is an act of resistance and resilience. Mother's Day, historically, in the United States, was born after the Civil War, after our country saw carnage in a real and raw way as battlefields were soaked with blood and women began to demand another way. 
suffragette Julia Ward Howe, who wrote the Battle Hymn of the Republic, also wrote a Mother's Day proclamation, the founding of what we now know as Mother's Day, calling that we make radical moves for peace in our world. Mother's Day wasn't about candy and cards. It was about saying that our children deserve better, that this world can be better, and that we get to be part of creating that world. Julia wrote this. Arise, all women who have hearts, whether your baptism be that of water or of tears. Say firmly, we have not we will not have great questions decided by irrelevant agencies, or our husbands shall not come to us reeking with carnage for caresses and applause. Our sons will not be taken from us to unlearn all that we have been able to teach them of charity, mercy, and patience. We women of one country will be too tender to those of other countries to allow our sons to be trained to injure theirs. Let men first meet as women do, to bewail and commemorate the dead. Let them then solemnly take counsel with each other as to the means whereby the great human family can live in peace, each learning in his own time the sacred impressions not of Caesar, but of God. This past February, I was contacted by a member of Faith Lutheran Church, and together with the League of Women Voters and St. Mark's, we began to plan a march in Glen Ellen, a march that would mirror marches all over the country, speaking out against gun violence that was gripping our world, that grips our world. Joining with students from Parkland and all people who are victims and demand that there is another way. We called the police chief and the village manager. We planned to march from Lincoln Elementary School to Glenbard West, reflecting the lives lost from Sandy Hook to high schools across the country from the streets of Chicago to our own suburbs. We estimated initially that we would have about 200 walkers, but in a miracle of loaves and fish proportion, we ended up with about 1,200. As people flooded into the streets demanding that there is another way for us and for our world and for our children that there is another way, and I was struck by the mothers with strollers who were walking for another way for their little ones. Yesterday, in the back of the yards neighborhood in Chicago, where violence rips and tears a community apart, moms planned a march for unity and for peace, demanding another way. I first had visited this community in December. A former youth from our church, Leah Landry, a young adult in her own right now, um, lives and works in that community. And she works for an incredible nonprofit called Plush, Precious Blood Ministries, a Catholic charity. And with them, she works with young men and young women 
who often don't feel like they have another way. They are brought up in a world of violence that we cannot even imagine. And we heard the stories of these young men and we heard of the power that love can have in the world of creating another way for them. And as Leah shared some of these stories with us, I noticed a pair of spray-painted red sneakers to my left, almost Dorothy-like from Wizard of Oz. And Leah continued to talk and tell us about the ministries that happened there. And these shoes kept in the corner of my eye. And so finally I asked. And she told me that there was an art display that they had done where mothers within the community spray-painted shoes gray of children who had been lost to gun violence. And the shoes that they spray-painted red were those that the child had died in. The shoes to my corner, to the corner of me, right over there, they had been worn by a 14-year-old boy who had saved and skimped, who had begged and bartered with his mom to have this pair of shoes. And at the age of 14, coming out a convenience store, his life was cut short. And I can't help but think that on this Mother's Day, as we celebrate the miraculous act of bringing life into this world, we also have to celebrate and mark and work for the ways that we are called to protect life in this world. That each and every one of us has been given God-given gifts to give birth to in the world. We all have calls upon our heart, and the question is, how are we going to live into them? We're at a time in our world and in our lives where, like God in Isaiah, we have to say, we cannot keep quiet anymore. It's a time to bring life forward, because to give birth is an inherently hopeful act. It is an act of resistance, and it is an act of resilience. And this Easter season, it is an act of resurrection. There is a cost to our discipleship, but there is also a true joy. As we bring something new into the world, there is no turning back. I have a friend who recently gave birth this last year, and she told me this story that I find so fitting. Right before her precious little baby girl was to be born, she made moves to get out of the bed and to tell her husband that she was done, <laughs> that she did not want to push anymore, that she didn't, wasn't interested in bringing this baby into the world, that she wanted to get up and put her clothes on and walk outside of the hospital. And her husband held her hand, and he told her that it would be okay, and that it wouldn't be like this forever. And moments later, their beautiful baby came into the world. A new life filled with potential and possibility for all that it would hold. But how often in our lives, right before a beautiful thing is to be born, do we want to throw up our hands? And we want to say we can't do it and that we're done. And maybe we're a little scared, too, if we're honest with ourselves. And maybe it's in those moments 
that we grab the hand of someone we love and we push a little harder and something incredible can be born. Because there is no turning back. And so what do we want to bear and to birth this Mother's Day? What do we want to give our sweat and our hearts and our passions to? And this answer for each of us will be as unique and distinct as each of us. But I invite you to ask that question this next week. What is God calling me to give life to in this world, no matter how big or how small? But I think we also have to remember that, as in Isaiah, there will be that gasping and that panting and that crying because bringing life into the world is hard work, but it's also filled with love. And as God brings life into the, into the world, it is also hard work and it is filled with love. And we get to be part of that. And that is incredible and that is miraculous. And it makes our lives worth living. Thanks be to God, we are moving forward. We are living into the life and the love and the joy of God's kingdom this day and every day participants with our divine creator. I am so grateful that I get to be part of this, and I am so grateful that I get to walk with you in it too. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen.